This podcast is for information purposes only and is not and should not be construed as professional advice or an offer or commitment by any Rabobank group member to enter into a transaction. The views expressed by the presenter and or guest are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Rabobank. Please see the podcast description for our full disclaimer. Welcome to Rabo Talks Growing Our Future, where we talk to experts from both here in New Zealand and across the world to bring New Zealand farmers and growers the information they need to make informed, strategic decisions about the future direction of their business to ensure they continue to thrive in a fast-changing world. ESG, they've got to be the three hottest letters around. What do they actually mean and how are they creating impact? Will ESG factors influence our food and fibre businesses? I'm today's host, Katie Vickers, and in this week's episode, we unpick what ESG really means and how it's changing behaviours in business, but more importantly, what it means on the ground and how it might impact our New Zealand farmers and growers. To unravel the topic and to dive into how agriculture globally is being impacted by ESG investing, we're joined today by the one and only Julia Jones. Whilst Julia has a long list of accomplishments and accolades, Julia is an optimist, a horse lover, and incredibly excited about the future of our food and fibre sector. Her six years with KPMG fueled her passion for understanding global trends and their impact on New Zealand, and this led her to her role as Head of Insights with NZX. Julia, it's so great to have you here. Welcome to the Growing Our Future podcast. Thank you so much for having me on such a cool topic. Well, many topics really, isn't it? Yeah. ESG, it's a million topics within a topic. So just to get us started, could you tell me a little bit about your role as Head of Insight for NZX? Like what does it actually involve and how does it give you a unique position to comment on ESG? So my role at NZX is Head of Insight and so that's all about seeking and looking for trends. So I look for trends in data, for trends in behaviour and that's trends within dairy. So I've got a team that look at dairy analysis across global markets and production in New Zealand. We look at trading, so shared trading and ESG is a huge part of that. So about in 2019, we did one of the first ESG reports, reports on how's New Zealand looking as far as reporting on ESG. So it's sort of been a topic that it's it's really fresh to everyone. But to me, um, since 2019, I've been buried deep in it. Um, I've travelled overseas to learn more about it. And it's just uh, one of those things that I find intriguing. So connect that with my ag background, which I've pretty much been in ag my entire life. And I think ironically, ESG is something agriculture has been talking about for 20 something years. We just didn't use the same letters in the same language. Yeah, definitely. Given that it's such a big category and it means lots of different things to different people, can you attempt to define it for us or to share your kind of definition of ESG when you think about it, particularly in terms of agriculture? Yeah, so ESG, when it was designed, the whole idea of it is actually to be about transparency, not perfection. So it's not about you being the bestest, bestest, best of everything. It's actually about you being more of a having the ability to be transparent in everything that you're doing so that others can choose whether or not what you're doing is something that they want to engage in or invest in. So it's it's about transparency. And, and the real raw state of it is that ESG is about risk management and assessing risk across the operations of a business. So if you imagine the operations of a business and you look at it and you think about what they're doing environmentally, 
what they're doing socially. And governance is kind of quite good in the sense it does tend to take care of itself. So that's going to be whether or not you're complying with rules and laws and regulations. And and those things tend to um, self-regulate in the sense that if you're not complying with the regulation, then you don't end up being a director for long. But, you know, things like social and environment can be a little bit harder for a business to measure. But all of these things come with risk. So they come with two risks. So the risk is you're damaging something that will cause a um, reputational risk across your business or the other thing of it is, is say with environment it could be something that stops your business from being able to perform so for our farming environments as the weather changes and gets crazier and you know you can run that across social as well that if you can't get the right people because you're not doing the right things and all these things that keep running so it's really risk assessment but when you look at the guts of it the reason people get confused is ESG is a thousand can have a thousand data points under it and also it's been turned into marketing. So what people do is instead of being transparent and real and saying, you know what, we're really bad at this today, but our goal is this tomorrow, everyone tries to sort of shine it up. You know, we try to spray it gold and say it's a gold bullion when in reality that's actually not authentic. And so it's it's definitely authenticity over perfection. Nice. And do you think that businesses are starting to realise that being authentic is actually could potentially have some gains for them? Some are, some aren't, and it's really how you do it. There's always a danger. We do have a punishment culture in New Zealand, so we do like to beat people up. So if you come out and you say, actually, you know what? My environmental policy hasn't been great. We've done these things, and over 10 years I'm going to try and improve this. And, you know, look, a perfect example of that is Allbirds. Now, they are genuinely a company trying to do really good things, and they got hammered. And yep, they had their carbon calculation out or whatever it was and they fixed it and they changed their wording. But, you know, it was very genuine in what they were trying to do. And I think the risk you have is when you come out with something and be very transparent, you have to have the ability in the background and the resources to actually counter and deal with that because there'll be people who don't understand ESG and don't understand that you're coming out talking about something genuinely that isn't working at the moment. And, you know, and those are the sorts of things where if people are transparent and open, you can get gains, but the flip side of it is you can also be a little bit beaten. So you have to be prepared for both. Yeah. Okay. Um, I know that you spent some time in the States end of last year to gain some more insights and perspectives on ESG. Can you please give us a bit of a feel for what you learned and who you visited over there? Yeah, so I actually wanted to go and visit BlackRock. That was a big thing for me. This A lot of ESG has actually started from BlackRock. So I talked to the Impact Investment Team. I went and spoke with their Sustainable Investment Team as well, just talking around what is this? Is it real? And look, the biggest things that I got from that were biodiversity is probably one of the fastest growing conversations. And I think this is brilliant for New Zealand and brilliant for our farmers because when you think about what we do, we, we actually farm to nature because we can't not farm to nature because we don't actually grow things. We can't actually get things to grow if we don't farm to nature. So the whole cool thing around that biodiversity conversation is that that's growing. So we're getting away from this very narrow climate conversation, which I'm not criticising it. Climate's important, but the reality of it is it becomes a very narrow conversation with other consequences, whereas biodiversity is more holistic and there's huge conversations growing in that space at the moment. Um, one size fits one is another thing that I learned. We all seem to think it's going to be the same everywhere and everywhere around the world, different things are important to them. So each country has its own little nuance within this. Now that's great, but if you export to three different countries, 
that's when it becomes a bit more difficult. And so that's the other thing is that one size fits one. So each currency has its own little nuance around it. And also the social side of it, so the S. So E kind of drives the car. If you imagine three letters sitting in a car, you know, E's at the front, S and G sort of hang out at the back, and E everyone cares about what E's driving and where it's going. Well, you think about S is going to jump up to the front and people are going to start thinking about social more and more. So this will get some more focus for companies where people believe the social side of it is important. Interesting. I know that from a farm level, obviously the E has been really topical over the last couple of years and still is, as you say, driving the car. How do you think us, the social side, will start to grow from an on-farm perspective and and what do you think that might look like? Well, we've seen an example about, it would have been before COVID, so it must have been early 2019, where there was actually a shipment of produce that was stopped at a port in Europe because they had no evidence that they had actually paid the fair living wage. Remember with social, everything comes back to, or everything, sorry, ESG in general, everything has got to be measured and a data point. So it's not about a judgment whether we think that you're a good employer or a bad employer or we're all happy or we're not happy. It's actually more it comes down to what are you doing and how do you prove you do it? And luckily they were able to work around and they were able to get the shipment in. But this was a shipment that would have basically ended up rotting um, if it couldn't get into port. They didn't have enough time to get it somewhere else. So these are the sorts of things that people will want to see. And what we need to realise is farming is we actually don't farm in isolation. And I know we might farm in an isolated region or area or feel isolated at times, but everything we produce goes to a processor and a processor has a customer. So we are inside people's supply chains. So if you think of it in that system, then if you are Fonterra or you're a meat company and you are selling products all around the world, then there are going to be different customers in different geographies that are going to need different things. So some will be focusing on more on the S around maybe gender, which I don't think we have an issue with. Fair living wage, can we prove that? And I don't think we need to change much. I think we just need to get better at measuring what we are already doing. And I think those are the keys. Yeah, nice. How do you think agriculture globally is being impacted by ESG investing today? Like, is it forcing changes to the way that we produce food? I think it is, but I also think it's probably highlighting some good things that get missed. Yay, we like to hear that. Exactly. So behaviour follows capital. So we all need capital. We all need to borrow money or get some sort of investment so we can grow, so we can get to the next step of our business. So around the world, if I'm a farmer, I'm borrowing money, so my bank might be impacted by this or may have to comply with all the ESG rules for their investor. The other side of that is what if I'm my processor? Again, my processor has investors. My processor's customer has investors. So you can see it's all a big link. So we're not segregated. We're all part of this big sort of, I guess, system. And because that capital, what happens is, is to get the capital, when you have to behave in a certain way, what you do is you will change your behaviour to make sure you get the capital. And this is what you start to get the flow on effect. And this is where we'll start to see some changes. But the flip side of that is it doesn't need that mean that we need to change. It means that we need to measure what we already do. And there's the difference. I think we keep thinking we need to change. That's not always the case. What we don't do very well, and we haven't ever done very well, is we don't measure what we do because we don't like to think that others are watching us or others are monitoring us. But the reality it is, Everyone's monitoring everything. And the more transparent you are, people get very bored with you very quickly and they leave you alone when you're transparent. 
because you build trust. You build trust by being honest. You don't build trust by telling a story. I love that. I think we've had many discussions about this over the years, but one thing that we're not very good at is celebrating this good stuff that we do. Like, yes, there's work to do and and we all have work to do, but being able to celebrate that through transparency and it's quite a nice way to reframe having to share data or give different data points on farm. I think if you start saying, well, it means we can demonstrate the awesome work that we're doing on farm, it feels a little bit easier to kind of swallow versus you know, you need to show us these data points so that we can make sure you're doing the right thing. You know, it's just around how you kind of change that conversation. And I think shift the mindset. Like, don't immediately assume that because you're getting transparent that someone's going to find something bad and tell you that you're wrong. You know, the more transparent they are, the more context we have. The easier it is for organisations to actually understand what you're doing. The consumer understands what you're doing and you will actually get some space. I think this cloak and dagger thing that we do sometimes, smoke and mirrors, you know, we get very much into this whole, oh, you know, I got into farming so because I didn't want to have, have anyone tell me what to do. To be honest, there is no such thing is living in any environment or working in anything where someone isn't going to tell you what to do. Everyone's got somebody to to answer to. And I think the thing is, is don't, as I said before, don't immediately assume that transparency means they're going to find bad things. The thing is, is, you know, what we're finding in some corporates with some of this ESG stuff is they're finding efficiencies. Their businesses are getting better. You know, this isn't fluffy virtue signaling. This isn't a big tree-hugging exercise. This is literally good business. You know, ESG looks at the risk of your business. So a long environment, if you don't treat people right and you don't actually pay them correctly, you've got reputational risk, it's going to be harder for you to employ. People need to think about these things. It's really simple, though, and actually, you know, every time you employ someone, it costs like 18 months' worth until you get them back, you know, or you get back the efficiencies. So if you're changing over people every six months, you've got to have a good look at yourself. And so these are the simple things, you know. Animal welfare is another thing that's going to be big, and and we think it's big now. It hasn't even got – it hasn't even begun – that conversation overseas was much bigger than I had expected. I thought it would be very much an environmental conversation, which it is, you know, but um, the animal welfare was the big thing. And this is where we in Agri have such a big role. We've got to communicate. You know, we have got to be better at communication. And I know it's hard because we didn't get into farming to tell everyone what we were doing. Okay, that's fine. If you like farming and you love it and it's in your heart, let's share that passion with other people and allow them to see it because I think that's the importance of it because what we do people don't understand we don't have connections with farms anymore and this ESG thing is going to get I wouldn't say it's going to get bigger I think it's going to get more common it'll come down to the tractors that you buy you know John Deere I suspect at the moment are doing a huge thing where they have to do well they would be doing ESG through their businesses they've got massive investors you know, like case, doesn't matter what tractor you talk about. Stainless steel companies, big engineering companies, big companies, you know, and even if they're small companies, they're going to have a bank and the bank is going to have to be making sure that they do the right things, regardless of what you do, regardless of what your business is. And so all of these things, I think it's not about stressing and worrying about it and going, oh God, and it's not more compliance. This isn't compliance, this is actual business. Yeah, I love thinking about it in that way. One of the things that I'm keen to get your view on is the word greenwashing. We know that it's kind of a hot word at the moment, not as hot as ESG, but it's, you know, it's hand in hand. Agriculture isn't exempt to that. How do you think we manage that here in New Zealand? 
Look, I think New Zealand got confused, and I certainly wouldn't say it from an ag perspective. I think if we've got one thing you can say for ag is there's no greenwashing. We don't tend to spin a yarn. We don't tend to run around telling people we're doing more than we are. We tend to call it how it is. And I think what you're finding in some of the corporate companies, they kind of got a bit confused with ESG, turned it into marketing. (laughs) And then, you know, they've actually got no evidence to back it up. And so all of a sudden you've got no evidence to back up these great claims you've made. And what do you know? You're greenwashing. So I think there's probably different layers of greenwashing. I think there's greenwashing where people know what they're doing. And I think we'll always have that. There's always going to be people who work out a system and then game it. And then you're going to come down layers and you're going to find people accidentally greenwashed because they don't understand what they're doing. They think that you want to hear a good story. They worry that you're not going to like them anymore or they're not going to get investors or they're not going to have customers. So then they spin a big yarn and then what do you know, somebody finds out that they've spun a yarn and, you know, they'll get hammered for it. So the greenwashing thing, I think there'll be more and more businesses setting up that are finding greenwashing. There's more and more investor activism. So that's where an investor basically, um, for example, Peter, the animal activists have actually invested heavily in Gucci, I think. So, you know, so what happens is these these groups will invest heavily in an organisation and then as a big shareholder you have, you know, voting rights and you can actually control things. And so what we'll find is there's more and more of these investor-type activists and also fund manager activists will be really targeting and hitting hard anyone that's greenwashing. Because it's pretty frustrating. You imagine you're a company. So imagine in a farming perspective, you're the farmer doing all these awesome things and the guy next door to you is telling you he's doing great stuff and not doing it. You know, it's frustrating. So it will get knocked out. And I think peers will take care of it too, you know? <laughs> yeah, I definitely think that. Like it's just showing leadership in your your catchment group or you know, when you're down at a school sports day and you're talking about what you're doing on farm, I think that's one way that we can start to make some changes around how we communicate about this. I do want to ask you, you said that we need to be able to communicate more on something that we haven't been very good at as New Zealand farmers and growers. I mean, that's a generalisation, but I know what you mean. If you could tell a 380 hectare sheep and beef farmer down in Fairley what they should be doing or think about doing to be able to communicate more around what they're doing on farm like where would they start and what would they do I think the first thing is is who's your audience and this is the tough one I think we are exceptional at communicating together as farmers I think where we get lost is communicating to someone who has no idea so it's almost like pointing out the obvious so when you talk about drenching a sheep or, you know, what is a language that someone who's never actually doesn't understand what drenching means, you know? You're supporting the wellness of that sheep. You're stopping it from getting sick. You're stopping it from getting bugs. And that might sound petty and pathetic, but the reality of it is that's how it is. We can't expect people to always understand exactly our language. I mean, I've been in farming pretty much all my life and I have no idea what some people are saying some days. We're talking to an audience that don't understand us, so we've got to help them. Being devil's advocate here, Is that the role of the farmer or is that the role of our processes or the people who are are essentially taking our product to market? Is that their role to help disseminate that information? Because like if Mary and John on the farm, you know, who do they tell what they're doing? I suppose they could tell their processor, but then how doesn't that get lost in the system? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a really good question. And I I think it's going to be a question we'll be asking for the next 30 years. I don't think we're even going to get the answer. The reality of it is it's everybody's role to fix this. It's everybody's role to communicate this. The thing is, we all have a different role. So as a processor, what am I going to talk about? I'm going to talk about my farmers, my country. 
our production systems, how safe my processing plant is, how clean it is, how nutritious the food is. As a farmer, I'm going to talk about how passionate I am individually as John and Mary about my animals. And I'm going to show you the person that has no idea about farming, who only gets their ideas out of some sort of random farming, whatever, social media, whatever craziness. Reddit. Exactly. I'm going to show you how passionate I am and I'm going to show you how much I love my animals. And I'm going to show you that we actually have the same values. We are the same because people connect to people. You can't expect it's very difficult for a processor to connect a person to a person. They'll do it in a way and there will be more and more where you can probably click on little, you know, icons and it brings up John and Mary's farm. Uh, And I think Silverfern Farms are doing some brilliant work in this space at the moment of trying to connect their farmers. But individuals, it's all of our roles to do. And I think it's also... If someone's doing something amazing next to you or even something different and you're not doing it, don't get offended. Just because someone does something different, that doesn't mean they're judging you. I I read this all the time. I hear the conversations, oh, that dick next door is doing regen. You know, he just thinks he's better than me. Well, does he? I mean, maybe he doesn't even think about you, you know, like maybe he didn't even when he did it. And I think, you know, like he's probably just getting on with his life. And if he does, if he is rude to you, then ignore him. Don't worry about it. Because you know what? If you genuinely are proud of what you do, Take pride in what you do. And that's what all this complaining about, oh, nobody appreciates farmers anymore. And and that might be true. But you know what? If we don't respect ourselves, we don't actually value what we are doing. And that's where I see things like ESG being really powerful for farming. Because, again, it gives us a platform to stand up and show the great things that we do. You know, yeah, there's always going to be bad people. There will always be You know, we could pick 10 bad lawyers, 10 bad accountants, 10 bad bankers, 10 bad whatevers all around the world, investor people, you name it. There's bad people in every industry, engineers, you know, whatever, supermarkets, bloody blah. There's always going to be 10% probably of people who aren't doing the right things. But let's not focus on them when we've got this awesome group of people that are doing amazing things. And there's also probably a group of people who are overwhelmed, who don't know where to start. So let's actually, how do we get behind them and support them? How do we bring people along? And I think we've got to stop expecting a cookie cutter system. It's actually okay for all of us to be a little bit different. We're all going to farm and think differently. We make decisions differently. So we could have the same topography, everything. So again, I think it's that acceptance. And some people will try new things and they won't work. And that's cool. Let's learn from them. That's great. You know, thanks, Mary and John. You know, you've learned this. How do we learn from that? What else do we need to do? Yeah. So sorry, that was a bit of a rant. <laughs> no, no, I love that. It's good. It's good to get it out, you know. I think I'd love to see, as you say, more openness to different ways of doing things. Like to one of the points you made at the beginning was one size fits one. I think the more that we can embrace that concept and know that, you know, how I do things will be different to how John and Mary do because, you know, my success in terms of what I think success is is very different to what they do or whatever it might be. Oh, look, and that's it, because you you have you might have a different lending profile, you might have a different whatever, you know, there's a million things that you might have differently that are in there that, that you attach to. So I think in that context, it just is how it is. I think we've got to be very conscious that we don't expect everyone to be the same, because if you are new to business, you've got a high lending ratio, you might not be able to invest as much. That doesn't mean you can't still do things, though. That doesn't mean you can't still understand. It doesn't mean you can't plan for the future. It doesn't mean you can't get a list of things that you need to do. And there will be, you know, not negotiables. I mean, we've seen it recently with the egg, the egg, egg gate, um, where, you know, all of a sudden. Oh yeah. I want to hear about this egg stuff. 
you know, the, you know, where it was basically the laws changed and the laws had changed years ago and it was coming into action and, you know, there were consumers saying, oh, the silly farmers, they should have worked faster. And then farmers saying, stupid consumers, look what you've done, you've done it to yourselves, look what you asked for. And I don't think anyone was right and everyone was wrong, you know. It was like, it was kind of one of those crazy scenarios where, People don't understand how chickens lay eggs. There are people out there that don't understand the poor wee things of prey animals. They don't necessarily love being outside because there's a chance they're going to get eaten by something. But the flip side is we didn't need to so mass produce that they became incredibly unwell and sick and it was awful. So there's the mix up, right? So that's where you end up with this whole lack of understanding of how something's produced and what the consumer expects, and there was no joining in the middle. And now we've got people who, you know, some of the things they can't afford, so we have to start thinking about those things too. Like, we've got to be very careful that we don't end up with this whole desire to have perfection overriding reality. I like idealism as much as the next guy, but if it means that people can't eat and things like that, then we need to find balance. I think that's really important too. So do you think, I mean, just listening to what you've just said about the egg crisis. I mean, it sounds like to me an example of how ESG has impacted a food sector or product. Would you say that's fair? Oh, oh yes, Because, it, but it sort of came through regulation. So what it came through was the consumer saying, I don't like the fact that chickens are in cages, and I'll be honest, I only buy free-range eggs. And then it's become regulation. And then what would happen too is the supermarkets, of course, wouldn't actually want to have – the supermarkets actually started to self-regulate. Because what happens is the consumer turns around and says, I'm actually not going to buy your eggs. I'm not coming to the supermarket. Yeah, but and that was driven, driven from, from consumer. consumers being concerned from a, an environmental or an animal well, welfare point of view, right? Absolutely. And it would have been lobby groups and it would have been, so it is very much, it was pre-ESG. So ESG would absolutely 100% take care of this now. Okay. Because all you need to do with ESG is basically have some say at the company governance level and push people and you can push it through. So those are the things that, we, that we've got to have awareness of. You know, if people can't get capital, then things need to change. Yeah, I think to one of the points you made earlier around the importance of the animal welfare topic, I think I'm really interested in, in some of your thoughts on that. But I know a couple of years ago, I heard someone say something about consumers won't be buying wool if we don't have pain relief for lambs when we tail and when you hear something like that you go holy heck and unless we're really transparent about what we're doing and how we're doing it and as you say communicating that I can imagine seeing us getting into a pretty sticky situation there so making sure farmers and growers understand ESG and what that means on farm and how it, how it might impact them or will impact them is going to be really important. Yeah, and you're not going to have everyone love you. You know, I think we've got to get over this whole thing that there will always be a group of people and don't fight the edges, you know. Don't fight the extremes. Success never happens at the extremes. So there's going to be people who fight and think that no matter what you do, if you were cuddling every lamb and rocking it to sleep, they're still going to think you're doing, you know, <laughs> things wrong. Animal welfare is always going to be one of those funny, weird things that people aren't going to be. Quite subjective. Look, yeah, I mean, look, my example is, and this is a terrible one, so I've got three pet cattle and, and they won't become food, but I do love to eat meat, so I eat other people's pets. But it's the thing here is that I don't think that I'm doing a better job than a farmer because my cattle sit there and stare at the farmer across the fence and wish they lived with him because I, I know because they, they want to be in a big herd and they want to do – 
cow things and, and, you know, hanging out with this crazy old lady in Eureka is not necessarily, you know, <laughs> is not necessarily great for them. So I think we've got to be really careful that people will have weird perceptions around things and this will go into social and this will go into environment. This is why it's even more important that we put context, you know, the tails have to come off because X, Y, Z, and, and, and vets will talk about the pain and how quick that is and whatever else, you know, we don't want them to get fly struck. We don't want them to get sick. What we forget is these simple things that we live and breathe every day, the average consumer no longer knows. The average consumer is no longer going to the uncle's farm on the weekend. The average consumer is never, isn't going out. And this is why the likes of um, Daniel Ebb's open farms are so important. You know, where we and, and farmers getting involved in those, it's scary. I know it's scary. I'm not trying to say this is easy, but nothing in life is easy. And we've got, amazing industry here we protect it by actually doing all the right things not by fighting everything that's different and ESG can be such a powerful thing for us really really love that now Julia as you know many of our farmers are already really deeply committed to improving sustainability and using different techniques and technologies to make sure that they are doing the right thing this podcast is really about making sure that we give a kind of key takeaways for farmers and growers to help them think about what they could be doing. What's a kind of lasting couple of points that you'd be able to give to a farmer or grower around how they might need to think about ESG and how it might impact their business in the future? One, don't worry and stress about it. So this isn't end of days. This isn't the, the it's not going to be shutting your business down. It's not, it's not com- more compliance. Don't think of more forms you're going to have to fill out. And the the second thing is go away and assess your business. Think about your business. So when you think of the environment, are you doing all the things that you should be doing? Are you actually doing more things that you probably don't need to be doing anymore, you know, that you can let go of? Think about the social. What are you doing with your teams? You know, just assess your business. Just have a self-assessment. If you're not comfortable self-assessing, get somebody in, just have a chat. doesn't need to be anything too full on, but just, you know, the first thing is don't freak out. Don't fear it. Don't immediately assume this is bad because it's not. Secondly, assess your business. What have you done? Because I'll bet you money, every one of you can write at least 10 things that you have done that is awesome for your farm. And the third thing is, is talk to other people. And I mean, talk to people outside ag. And I say this all the time because what it does is not necessarily going to give you a solution, but what it helps you do is understand that everyone's in this boat. Everyone's trying to change. This is not an anti-ag movement. This is actually just a shifting of society. It's a way people think is, is shifting. And it's the best way to protect this beautiful sector that we are all passionate for is actually to understand what the changes are, understand where we fit and actually evolve in that. Because if anyone listening or anyone anywhere thinks that you can sit and not be any different tomorrow, you're going to have a rude awakening. So and enroll with it, embrace it. You know, we are so good. Learn how to celebrate the cool things that you've done. Write down the good things and then have a list of goals of things that you might like to do over the next 10 years. See, the other thing is none of these things have to happen overnight. You know, the cool thing with ESG is it's about transparency. So if you're a big corporation and you said, I'm going to improve the environment by X, Y, Z, you've actually got like 10 or 15 years to do this. So is ag. You know, it's not about doing things, everything tomorrow. You might look and go, oh, my God, my waterways aren't all planted how I'd like them or I want to do that wetland and you might panic because I can't do it this year because I've got all these other investments or capital investment I need to do or I want to pay back debt or whatever. The reality of it is that's fine. Just have it on your list. Get it in your to-do list over the next 5 to 10, 15 years. It doesn't all have to be done tomorrow. Give yourself space. 
give yourself breathing space. Yeah, space and perspective. It made me kind of think that if you were involved with FAP or FAP Plus or you were developing an integrated farm plan, that sort of sounds like a pretty good place to start because you're putting down all of your goals and aspirations, you're detailing what you have done and what you plan to do. It kind of feels like a really good template to be able to start thinking about so that you can clearly demonstrate to whoever it might be what you're doing in that ESG space. Oh, hell yes. They are brilliant, you know. And don't look at it as compliance because I think sometimes people look at those and go, oh, just get it filled out because that's what they want. Like actually use it. it. It leads your thinking process. It leads you to think about things. And you know what? It'll also help you celebrate things because it might have something on there and you're like, wow, we actually already do that. Like we actually do that way more than what's expected. That's brilliant celebration. And there might be another thing that helps you create efficiencies. So actually engage in these things as a tool to progress, don't engage in them as if they're a tool that's a pain in the neck that someone made you, forced you to do. Because, yes, you are being forced to do them, but so are the big corporates. If you had a TCFD, which is Task Force Financial Disclosure, uh, Climate Disclosure, I mean, that is literally a farm plan on steroids. You know, like these big companies have to actually go out there and define if the temperature is X degrees higher, what does that cost my business? How am I going to get around that? What are the issues? What are my risks? You know, but what we're hearing is people, when the businesses have done it, it's actually helped them be better at, with their business. It's made them more efficient. So don't always assume again that anything like the farm plans are just pieces of paper. It is not a tick box exercise. It can absolutely empower your business. And just do it. Sit down with people and just do it. Just get it done and understand because you're going to find things that you could easily do yourself things that might have to be on that five-year plan, and you're going to find a whole lot of things that you don't have to do anything else at the moment because you're actually doing them brilliantly. Yeah. Enjoy the process. Yeah. Julia, I always love your perspective. So thank you so much for joining us today on this week's episode. It's been an absolute pleasure. I think the key takeaways for me have been about ensuring that you take time to understand that transparency can actually build your business and give you some space to see some opportunities. Don't freak out. This isn't going to be something that's going to come overnight. It's just about making sure that we've got clear measurement and clear communication around what we're doing on farm. And it's a positive. So thanks so much for joining us. It's been awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Talks Growing Our Future podcast. If you're interested in learning more about how Rabobank can support you to succeed into the future, please go to rabobank.co.nz.